see everybody. Welcome to Seacoast Church. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor here, and we are glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, especially glad that you're checking out Seacoast this weekend. Want to welcome all of our campuses that are with us. If you're in the chapel or at one of our locations or maybe joining us online as well, we are excited to have you. I want to mention uh, a couple things that I'm really excited about, three really cool um, th things to talk about before we jump into the message. The first one, this past Friday night, we did, we hosted it here at the Mount Pleasant campus and at the Somerville campus. I believe an event that is the, the closest thing that we do to the heart of God. Uh, we invited a thousand special needs uh, families uh, and, and guests to come into our building and we just did a, a big old bash, the Luke 14 banquet. We partnered with Tim Tebow and Night to Shine and just had an incredible night. Wanted to show you some pictures. Uh, so they would come in, uh, the families come in, they, we, we had this whole worship center set up as a dance floor, and so they'd come down a red carpet, and then we fed them and had an incredible dance floor. We had in the multi-purpose room in this building, we had uh, women that were doing nails and hair and makeup, and we had guys getting their shoes shined. We had karaoke happen in the chapel. I'm telling you, I don't know how worship was this morning in the chapel, but karaoke was on point on Friday night in the chapel. And uh, we, we had... Um, a silent disco, we had limo, right? It was just such an incredible night. Lisa and I were here just crying, uh, tears of joy, watching these incredible families uh, come in and just enjoy a night where they were told that, that they matter, that, that, we, that they're noticed, that God loves them. And uh, we, we had so many fun, fun moments. That was kind of the dance floor. My favorite moment of the night, though, was right here on the dance floor in the worship center uh, where these two incredible friends uh, got engaged uh, on the dance floor. Such a cool deal. So what, a, just... Incredible night. Uh, it, it was one of those moments that uh, I, I was just proud to be a part of this community. And uh, we had a thousand guests came. We had 600 people show up to serve uh, and to serve meals, to serve in the parking lot, to serve uh, just as a buddy, hang, hanging out with some of some of these these friends. And so, thank you all, those of you that did and uh, prayed for it. And next year, when we talk about the Luke 14 banquet, I'm telling you, come. Uh, it, it'll, it'll challenge you, it'll wreck you. It was an incredible, incredible night. Second thing I wanna announce and just excited about is we, one of the things we do that's also core to our mission, uh, we do stuff all over the world, but in, in the United States, we plant churches. We're part of a church planting organization and uh, this weekend, uh, we are planting four brand new uh, life-giving churches. So we have Radius Church in Stockton, California, Mana Church, Hawaii, in Honolulu, Hawaii. There's a typo here though. It's actually Josh and Lisa Surratt are gonna be the pastors of that church. We're just gonna, anybody wanna go with us? Just, you know, feel called to Hawaii. It must be nice. We got Cornerstone Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and then Avenue Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. So four brand new churches that are happening right as we speak, uh, planting. Yeah, let's give God a hand for that. <coughs> Again, if you're new to Seacoast, we started an organization about 16 years ago, just a model that, that churches would, that, that would help fund the planting of churches and support and resource and train up leaders, and it's just been amazing. We're somewhere around 700 churches now that we've planted in the last 15 years, and so God's doing a cool thing there. But also, one more exciting announcement, I told you there were three. Uh, we're also expanding our worship center here. Many of you know that. We're getting ready to build a 2,500-seat worship center. This week, we received our approval for the permits for that building, and so, yay, God. There will be no delays on the permit. 
Uh, if you're not here at this building, uh, you may not have noticed, but the parking lot is, they're hard at work on the parking lot. That should be done uh, in the next month or two. We're looking at mid-April would be the time that we hope to, to break ground on the actual building. And uh, our goal is to raise $8 million between um, the time we announce the, the building campaign and then the time that we break ground. And we're not too far from that, but we're, we're not all the way there yet. Pastor Greg will be up next weekend as well as the following weekend uh, to preach, and he'll also give us an update on where we are and what the difference is and how we're gonna try to close that gap. And so a lot of great things going on, uh, great time to be a part of the church. Would you pray with me as we kind of get started into the message? God, we just wanna thank you. Uh, I wanna thank you for all that you're doing uh, here in our church, uh, that, that we're a part of a church that you, your hand continues to bless, and we don't take that for granted. And we just ask you to continue to lead us and guide us, help us to care for the, the, the poor and then the underserved, and help us to continue to um, reach the people that, that uh, so desperately need to be reached in our communities where all of our campuses are. Thank you for these church plants that are starting today. We just pray for uh, just incredible results, that people would come to know you in a, a personal way. Uh, that you would just uh, give leadership and vision to the pastors and, and leaders, and we can't wait to see what you do through them uh, th th this weekend. We're, we're grateful to be a part of it. And we just lift up our time today. God, I, I just humbly come before you and admit in front of all of my friends here that if, if you don't show up, I've got really nothing of value to say. And so we just pray that your spirit would lead uh, my words, that you would prepare all of our hearts to hear a word from you this weekend. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we jump in, I want you to think about this question. How do you typically respond when someone that you don't like succeeds? Just think about that, not your church response. I know we all bless them, praise God, but how do you respond on the inside <coughs> when someone that you just, you don't like them, uh, maybe you know more about them than other people do, but when they experience a win or success, how, do, how does that make you feel inside? Got a recent example of the New England Patriots, right? I mean, um, our nation can't agree on anything, but we all don't like the Patriots. I mean, we unify around that. And, and so, of course, th they win the Super Bowl. And how'd that, how'd that make you feel? Of course, you could think about, some of y'all love it. I, I get it. There's some heathens, some heathens in the house. Um, <laughs> I'll do the talking for the, from here on out. Y'all can just kind of... So, so think about that. that, politically speaking. You know, if you're around long enough, at some point, somebody that, that, that you disagree with that you didn't vote for is gonna win. They're gonna have, have influence and leadership. That may have happened recently for you. It may not have, but how do you handle that when someone that you just don't, you don't like, you don't agree with, you don't, you don't agree with their values and they win, and, and how do you handle that on the inside? What does that do to you? Maybe you have a friend and you know, you've gone through financial peace and you try to do the right thing financially. You're living on a budget and you know, you're generous, you give. And, um, but, but you got a friend who's just reckless with their finances. They're not organized and they, they, they go spend more than they earn. And it just seems like they keep getting more and better and bigger. And it's like, man, how does that, how does that play out that way? Maybe you've seen somebody celebrated or, or rewarded for something and, and you know who they really are behind the scenes when nobody's watching. It just kind of, it, it, it gets to you. It bothers you when, when you see them celebrated. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. Now, you got a friend, and, and her husband is just a really, really good gift giver. And your husband is really good at other things, but not so much <laughs> that. And it's like, oh, why does she get such good stuff? Or, you know, dig in a little further. Some of you, maybe you have an ex, and you watch the way that they treat the person that they're with now, and you're like, man, if... If he would have just given me that kind of attention, maybe our relationship would have, 
succeeded. If she would have treated me the way that she treats him, maybe, maybe it would have worked out differently for us. As a parent, maybe you see a child that's being successful on sheer talent and you watch your child work so hard day in and day out and it seems like they're being overlooked maybe by a teacher or by a coach and it just bugs you. We've all had these moments in our lives when, when we had to watch the bad guy win, if you will. And, and what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about that. How do, we, how do we handle that? And we're in a series right now called Year in the Word. And again, if you're new to the church, uh, we, we started at the beginning of January 1st and we're just taking the whole year reading through the Bible together. We've got a reading plan that's available on our website. And if you're new and you're like, ah, I feel like I missed that, you can jump in right now. In fact, on your outline sheet, if you pull your outline sheet out, on the bottom of the outline sheet at the back is this this week's reading. And I'd encourage you, maybe you're new to this and checking things out, just start with this week. You know, read the, the verses that we have on here and, and, and see if God doesn't speak to you in a powerful way. But what we've been doing is we've been reading a New Testament passage, an Old Testament passage, and then a Psalms. Uh, one of the Psalms every day. And I think this week it'll switch over to Proverbs for a while. But here's what I've learned about reading the Psalms. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And what I'm learning is that David had a lot to say about the bad guy. Uh, he, he had some enemies and he talked about them. And it was not always um, probably a biblical perspective or, or God's perspective. In fact, there's something, uh, I'll just share, this is extra, this is extra credit. But <coughs> I saw this. Here's one thing that he said about the bad guy in Psalms 109. He said, May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. Who says this isn't practical? Good, you know, this, like, David was a real dude. And there were times that he was like, man, he was mad and he had things to say. We're not gonna apply that principle today, okay? That's, that's probably not on his best day, but, but I read this week Psalm 37, and this is a point in David's life, he's, he's a little older. In fact, I'll show you, he even says it during this psalm. He says, once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. So <coughs> he's, he's older, one of the versions say he's a gray beard. Um, and he's looking back and, and, he, and he gives some wisdom and some input on how to handle things when, when someone that you don't agree with is successful. And I imagine he probably would say, you know, there were some times I didn't always get this right, but, but he, he tells us, hey, I want you to lean in. I, I want you to learn some things from me about how to handle these situations. And if you're like me, I, I, I love learning from anybody, but I'd rather learn a lesson from someone who's walked in those shoes, who's been there um, and done it. And David, if you know his story, he's got a lot of experience with this. Uh, even going back to the time that he was called as a king, you may remember um, his father was told, hey, one of your sons is gonna be the next king. Would you bring them before us? And he had eight sons. David was the eighth son. And his father brought seven of them and he didn't even bring David in. He, it didn't even occur to him that he was, he was potentially gonna be the king. He was overlooked by his own dad. I'm grateful that although sometimes we're overlooked by people here, he wasn't overlooked by God. God saw him and he, he called him to be king. And, but, but then from the time that he was anointed, to become the next king, things got worse for him. He wound up being ho homeless, uh, running away from the, the current king, living in caves day after day after day, on the run, living without anywhere to put his head. Meanwhile, the bad guy, King Saul, who didn't represent God's heart, is living in the palace and living it up. So he had a lot of moments where he would contemplate and think about 
the, this situation. Then there, there were times while he was on the run that people mistreated him. Eventually he would become king and he certainly made his share of mistakes, but, but, but he, he had this one moment where he, he lost his newborn child. Uh, dealt with the death of a, new, a newborn child. And, and if you read that, as we will later in the year, uh, going through the Bible, it, it just sent him into a tailspin, the depression, and just really, really struggled during those days. And then later on, after he had uh, been king for a long time, he'd provided his kids an incredible home that he, he really didn't have growing up himself. And one of his very own sons, Absalom, would lead a revolt against him and would eventually overthrow him as king for a season. And so you're talking about a guy who wrote these words. These aren't just some surface level principles. These are some words that were written out of a lot of experience, a lot of anguish. If you're like me, as even as I gave those examples earlier of these moments where the bad guy wins or where someone you don't like, it's, it can be frustrating. It can kind of eat away at you. And so David says, I want, you to, I want you to lean in. There's some things I've learned about how to handle ourselves. And it's not got as much to do with the bad guy, but a lot more to do with us and, and how we can grow through these situations. So I wanna read it to you. I'm gonna read, um, not on your outline sheet, uh, but if you have your Bibles, it's Psalm chapter 37, and, and we could spend a whole series on this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm, so much in it. I'm just gonna spend our, our time today on the first uh, 14 or 15 verses. So let's, let's look at it if you have your Bibles. If not, I've got it here on the screen that we'll, we'll read, it, read it as well. It says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and you will prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It only leads to harm. He says, the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they'll be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance, but the Lord just laughs, for he sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right, but their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. <coughs> An interesting passage of scripture there. And I, want, I want us to take a couple of minutes as I read through that and I point out a couple things that I think we can learn, especially when we watch people succeed that, that we don't necessarily agree with. The, the first thought is this. We gotta remember that not everybody that you label as bad is really bad. Not everybody that you label as bad is really bad. If David had some very clear enemies. I mean, literally, he had people who were, who were trying to kill him. Most of us don't have, anybody have anybody trying to kill you right now? Actually, don't raise your hand because they may be in the, the room. We don't wanna, we don't have that, that go down. But most of us don't live in, in the realities that David lived in. We have people that frustrate us, people that irritate us, people that don't see things the same way we do. But, but most of the time, the people that we label as bad, they aren't really bad. Think about it for a minute. In your story of, of your life, 
You're the good guy, right? I mean, we're all the good guys of our own story. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but, but in some people's stories, you're the bad guy. You're the one that cut them off in traffic. Maybe you're the one that got the promotion that they thought that they deserved, or maybe you had to deliver the news that, that they would no longer be employed at, at, at the company. In, in other people's stories, you may represent the bad guy. It's all about perspective, but you give yourself the benefit of the doubt. You're not a bad person. Maybe you've made mistakes along the way, but you're not a bad person. And most of the time, the people that we label as bad aren't really bad. What if we trained ourselves to respond with humility when it comes to these people? Maybe I'm not right about this person. Have you ever been wrong about somebody? Happened to me recently. In fact, um, I brought evidence of this. <coughs> A couple of y'all are gonna be happy, but, but this guy right here, Tom, Tom Brady. All right, for me, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Tom Brady has always represented the bad guy for me. I, I'm a Broncos fan, I like Peyton Manning, Team Peyton, uh, and, and Brady, he just, he kinda comes across to me as a little bit smug and, and, and overconfident, and then he's got, got his hand caught in the cookie jar a couple times, uh, maybe cheating a little bit, so my worldview would say, Tom Brady, not a good guy. So fast forward to the Super Bowl, and of course if you watched it, there's an amazing comeback and they win, and if, if you know anything about football, there's a backstory that's been going on, which is that Tom Brady was suspended for the first four games of the year this year, and it's been a long, drawn-out fight that he's been having with the commissioner of football about uh, Deflategate. By the way, I read an article this week that uh, interviewed or surveyed people that hate Tom Brady for why do they hate Tom Brady. The number one reason was Deflategate. The number two reason was I don't know, and that's a good reason, you know? I mean, that's not bad. Some of you, that's, there's somebody you don't like, and it's like, I don't know why I don't like him. I just don't like him, all right? But, but so anyway, so there's this big controversy, and now there's this moment, and, and as soon as the game's over, a reporter gets into Tom Brady. The first reporter that I saw puts a microphone in his face and says, this must feel great. What does it feel like to get revenge against the commissioner? You know, this is your moment. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. And he says, no, 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 no. This has not, never been about revenge for me. That I won this game out of love for my family and out of, out of love for my, my mom. He has a, his mother has been battling an illness that we don't know much about, but apparently it's pretty significant. And, and, and so he handles himself with, with just this great amount of class. And like, oh, that's kind of messing with me here. And then I see him, <laughs> then I see him celebrating and he's got these little kids and I don't know how old his kids are, but they seem very similar age to mine and he's hugging on them and they're crying and it's this great moment. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I had a harder and harder time hating this guy. And then I find out this. Tom Brady actually attends an ARC church up in the Boston area. <laughs> so, so here's the point. I was wrong about him. He's a good guy. He's actually, he just happens to wear a jersey that I don't pull for. And, and how often do we do that? We label somebody as good or bad based on the jersey that they wear. You know, of course, it's silly talking about sports, but we do that, you know, politically or religiously, you know, relationally, vocationally. They, maybe they work for a rival company, and we kind of put, slap a label on somebody and say, oh, bad person, based on, you know, the jersey that they wear. And, and, and we're almost always wrong when we do it. The disciples even did it. It happened with Jesus' disciples. Look at this. Uh, John says, Master, said John, we, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. We, we, we jumped in and tried to stop him. Why? Because he's not one of us. He's not one of us. Man, how often do we do that? 
It's like they're not one of us, and so we just kind of put them in in an evil category in our mind. I can tell you how many times I've heard in the past several months from both sides, how could you be a Christian and vote for so-and-so? It's like they're not one of us. They don't see the world the way I do, so how could they be, you know, and we just kind of assign evil to people's hearts based on, uh, on some differences that we might have politically or different, different ways. Look at what Jesus said. He said, don't stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. He had to correct the disciples. He's, he's like, listen, you've, you've misjudged this person. He had to remind them they, they'd mislabeled some people as bad just because they weren't one of them. And can I suggest to you that what, what, what if your ex isn't evil? I mean, certainly made some mistakes and I don't mean to belittle any of your circumstances or situations, but what if in your head you've just kind of slapped an evil label, label on somebody that maybe they're not? The coach that decided that your child wasn't good enough to make the team or maybe didn't put him in the game. What if that coach isn't an evil person, the bad guy? Maybe even the father that wasn't present for you growing up and certainly made some mistakes, but, but what if they're not an evil person? What if, what if the reality is that hurt people tend to hurt other people? And the people that maybe you've labeled as bad are actually just broken people who God loves desperately and wants to reach. I just wonder if there are some of us that God's actually called us to be a part of their redemption story, but we're never gonna do it if we just slap a label on them and go, I'm done with them. They're bad, can't handle that. I don't wanna go back there. We'll never reconcile relationships when we label people as evil. We'll never even really understand different perspectives if we just live in this label mentality. I'm just gonna put a label on you and move, move on. By the way, we do have an enemy. At the end of the day, it's the same enemy that David battled. There's, there's an enemy of our souls. His name is Satan. This is a force of good news. You don't have to believe in Satan to be in our church. It's fine. He'll just mess with you anyways. He doesn't care if you do or not. But the Bible talks all about this enemy of our soul. We have an enemy that wants to derail us, wants to keep us from living out the purposes that God's uh, called us to accomplish. And the Bible says in John, he's, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do. So what if we rechanneled some of this anger that we have towards a person and recognize that, man, we have an enemy. Let, let's focus it on that. Oftentimes, the person that we label as bad isn't actually bad. S- second thought, and we'll kind of dive into the passage a little bit, is this. <coughs> Every minute that you spend fretting about the bad guy is wasted time. Every minute that you spend fretting about the bad guy is wasted time. This is where it gets a little harder for me. Kind of wish David would have kept it generic, but he starts reading my mail a little bit when he starts going through these things. He says, there's some things that, that are not productive that you can do in these situations. There's some things that you just need to stop. And so I kind of read through it and, and I jotted down about five or six things that jumped out to me. And as I go through this list, maybe the Holy Spirit would highlight one or two of them. You go, hey, I want you to pay attention to that. I want you, maybe you've been spending some time on this and it's not only wasted time, but ultimately it's destructive for you and for your soul. A couple of them that David talks about, one of them is worry. Worry is wasted time. He says, don't worry about the wicked. And then again in verse uh, seven, he says, don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Don't worry, worry is wasted 
time. Man, that would be easy if we could just go, okay, sounds good, Josh, I'll stop worrying. But most of us, if we're being honest, we struggle with this from time to time. We do, the Hebrew word that he uses there for fret, it actually can be translated, don't work yourself into a slow burn. Don't work yourself into a slow burn when you see evil men prospering. Don't let it get under your skin. It's only gonna lead you into wrongdoing. What, what are you worried about right now? There's some things that maybe you've been staying up at night, contemplating, thinking about worrying. Jesus said that worry doesn't add a single minute to our life. So I just encourage you, maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I want you to, want you to think about this for a little bit. Channel that into prayer. You know, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate because you know how to replay something over and over and over again in your mind. And what if every time it pops up, you go, all right, God, I'm, I'm coming to you with this. I'm just gonna, pr I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray about the situation. I'm gonna ask you to help me see it from your perspective. I'm gonna ask you to intervene in, in this circumstance or situation. Train ourselves not to worry so much. It's not helpful. It's a time-wasting response. The second one for us is envy. Envy. <coughs> Look what it says. He says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. In other words, don't stew over the fact that they're getting away with something that you're not getting away with. That ever happened to you? And maybe you know somebody and it's tax time, right? Maybe you, you kinda know that they're cutting some corners and they kinda boast about the return they got or whatever and it's like, oh man, why can't I get away with that? You know, he says don't do that. It's, it's not productive. Don't stew over, uh, over the, the wicked when they prevail. Definition of envy is feeling of discontent and ill will because of another's advantages or possessions. In our home, we call it the green-eyed monster. The green-eyed monster. I think we got it from a book that we read with the kids, but it's this, you know, I don't know if you, you see this happen, it's easy to see it in my kids. I've got a three-year-old daughter, Ellie, and she's wonderful. She'll be just enjoying life and whatever, watching a show or playing with a toy and and then her seven-year-old sister will walk into the room and she'll pick something up that's been sitting on the floor for probably weeks. Nobody's cared about it at all. She picks it up and starts playing with it and all of a sudden Ellie's like, oh my God, mom, mine, mine, daddy, mine. You know, it's like, what is wrong with you? You don't even want that. You just want it because she has it. It's easy for me to see it in the kids and we kind of call it out. But the reality is mom and dad struggle with it too some. You know, I'm perfectly content with my iPhone 6. It's great. Till I see, have you seen the camera on the iPhone 7, the, the quality of those pictures? I don't even know what it is, but I need it. Every time one of you posts a picture with your better iPhone, it's like, ah, oh, I should have that, right? I haven't worn a watch since I was like 16 years old, but when the iWatch came out a couple years ago, it's like, man, I gotta have one of those, right? Why? Because everybody else has one. I didn't get one, by the way. I, I, I didn't envy, so, you know, good, good job there, Joshua. The evil prevailed. My dad got one, but I didn't get one. <coughs> So, so don't, don't let that stuff, don't let, don't let that stuff stew, stew in you. It, it's so destructive when we allow envy to kind of guide our purchasing habits. Another one that, that he talks about, time-wasting, he kind of talks about the, the other side of this, but doubt. Doubt is a time-wasting response. Look what he says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land. N another verse here in, in verse five, he says, trust him and he will help you. Trust him, don't doubt. I know it can be easy, when, especially when you see injustice happening. It's easy to start to question God. If God was really good, he wouldn't get away with that. That guy wouldn't get away with that, or God wouldn't allow 
this injustice to happen. It can be easy to start to just entertain these doubts in our mind. And David says, no, 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 trust, trust in God. When you see the wicked prevailing, trust in him. Another one is discontent. Discontent, look at this one, verse four. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. In other words, don't, stop thinking about all the things that, that they're getting away with or that you don't have and it kind of creates this discontent in us. He says, learn to take delight in the Lord, to be satisfied in, in what God has given you and what he's done for you and who he is. And as you do that, he'll give you the desires of your heart. I used to love this verse because I thought it meant if I delight in the Lord, he'll give me whatever I want. Really, a better translation would be the more that you delight in God, the more that you just are content in his presence, the more he'll turn your desires into his desires. The more you'll start to crave the things that he craves and the more that you'll start to carry his heart for, the, for this world. It's almost the Old Testament version of, of Matthew 6 where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll give you the stuff that you need. He'll take care of that, but he'll also change your desires. So discontent is a time waster. Another one is striving. I know a lot of us struggle with this. You know, you see something that isn't right and you're like, man, I'm gonna do whatever I can do. I'm, I'm gonna fix, I'm gonna take it into my own hands. And David says, be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Just be still, chill out. You're not the, the CEO of the universe. It's not on you to fix everything that's broken, to make every wrong Right, sometimes you just need to, need to chill. I love the way Herbert Cooper said it at our revival. He said, be still and chill. Some of you, we just need to be still and chill. Wait patiently, knowing that God's got this. God is in control. When we try to force things, we break them, right? Greg taught us that a couple weeks ago. So some of us just stop trying to make it happen. Maybe we strive to get noticed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do whatever I can do to make sure next time a promotion comes up, I'm gonna be the one to get it. And yeah, we work hard, that's great, but sometimes the motives are, are wrong. Let God be God and we, 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 we just take care of what he's called us to take care of. But last one, time-wasting response would be anger. <coughs> anger. David came after us on this. He says, stop being angry. Remember, this is an old, older man kind of in, in wisdom speaking here over a cup of coffee going, hey, stop, stop being so angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It's only gonna lead you to harm. See like a, a grandfather leaning in going, I, I really want you to not make some of the same mistakes that I made. I want you to know that this, this anger, this rage, it's gonna end up hurting you more than it hurts anybody else. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you? I think one of the hardest examples of the bad guy winning or watching the enemy win is when someone that you love faces sickness or death. You know, there's nothing that feels like, man, the enemy wins when you see a young person pass away or you see somebody that you love uh, facing a challenge. And I know a couple of years ago, my wife and I lost several really close friends and, and they weren't accidents. We've had that happen too and, and you certainly can get angry at somebody who caused it. But for us, the, the, these people that we love, they were, they were undetected health issues. And, and I can remember just becoming so angry at God because it's like, God, you could have stopped this. You know, if, if anybody would have known this, we, we could have fixed it. We could have gotten into it. And it's like, oh gosh, that's so hard. And it's so easy to get angry with God. And I can remember journaling and just writing this out and 
feeling like even as a pastor, I had to sort of, I didn't know where to process it, so I just journaled and, and wrote some of these things out, and ultimately, as I journaled and processed some of it, it led me to a place of having to ask a really hard question. Simple question, but a hard one, which is, do I really trust God? Do you really trust God? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God is good and that nothing happens under his watch that, that he can't redeem and bring purpose to? I'm not saying that God causes sickness and causes death. Ultimately, we know that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But at the end of the day, it takes you to a place of having to go, do you, do you trust God? Do you really trust him? Some of you are going through some really hard stuff right now. Maybe there's a slow burn going on on the inside. Becoming angry could be about a relationship that didn't work or a health challenge that you're facing. And I wanna invite you to make a decision today to turn from your anger. Say, so I'm, I'm gonna leave that here. I'm gonna leave that at the altar. How do you do it? I Take a whole nother message to get into. I wish it was easy and simple, three simple steps, but ultimately it's gonna be a daily choice that you make to forgive, to trust, and to let go. And a good starting place would be the last point on your outline sheet here, and that's this. When you think someone's getting away with something, listen for God's laugh. Listen for God's laugh. I, I, I love this. He says, but the Lord just laughs for he sees their day of judgment coming. I kind of envision myself with my kids when they're trying to, they think they're getting away with something. It's like, I know, I, I know what, the, they don't know that I know. And it's like, oh, okay, we're gonna try that, okay. The Lord just laughs. He knows that a day of judgment is coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Gotta remember that God is seated on the throne and he's not stressed out about the situation that you are. Sometimes he's just chuckling because he's like, ah, just wait. Give it three weeks and two days and you're gonna see that something's coming that, that's gonna help, help make this. But ultimately, we gotta remember, it's not my job. It's not my job to make all things right. That's God's job and he's doing a pretty good job of it. Now, there are times we don't see it, we don't understand it in our limited perspective, but we gotta get, get ourselves to this place where we realize in the end, in the end, he's gonna make things right. You know, if we've learned anything in the last year, it's that trusting in an insurmountable lead is stupid. Anybody agree with that? I mean, Super Bowl was an example. Politics, Cubs, three to one, you know, down in the World Series. Trusting an insurmountable lead is, is stupid. Think about that game this past weekend. You know, I, I was watching it when Atlanta scored a touchdown in the third quarter. They go up 28 to three. The Falcons are winning, and if they, they panned both sidelines, and, and on the Atlanta Falcons sidelines, it was like exuberance. I mean, they were relaxed, they were having fun, they were enjoying it, probably a little bit overconfident. The game is in the bag, they've got it. Fans are going crazy. You go to the Patriots sideline, and it's like, man, their, their hands are in their heads, and despair, and it was fun watching social media. Uh, some of you Patriots fans, you had people that were commenting on your posts, like, well, how you like me now? You know, it was like, man, they were, they were just, they're getting killed. It's like, have they given up? But just a few short minutes later, the game's over and the exact opposite has happened, right? It's like, man, the, the tides have turned. 
And some of you, you feel like you're down 28 to three right now and life has not gone the way that you thought it was going to or a relationship's not gone the way you thought it was going to and, and you're, you're tempted to give up hope and, and I just wanna remind you that there's time left on the clock. God's not done with this. In fact, I want all of us, why don't we just take a deep breath, right? On three, one, two, three. That just feels good to do every now and then. Some of y'all just chilled out for the first time in a long time, taking a deep breath. But if, if you drew air into your lungs here or at the campuses and, and you're still breathing, then there's still time left on the clock. There's still time for your circumstances to change. And, and here's the reality. If God doesn't do it by the time you finish drawing breath, he has all of eternity to make it up to you. His perspective is so much bigger than ours. He's gonna make things right. Listen for God's laugh. It's not your job. In fact, you may wanna turn to your neighbor and just say, it's, it's not your job. It's not your job. <coughs> what is your job? What is my job? It's the last verse on the outline sheet. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. He will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I wanna invite you wherever you are, whatever you're facing, to put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. You know, life's a lot better lived when you realize that you're not the general manager of the universe. It really is. And you can go, you know what, I'm gonna put my hope in the Lord. Some of us, we've put our hope in people. We've put our hope in circumstances. Today, I just wanna invite you to put your hope in Jesus. Some of you may do that for the very first time. Go, you know what, today, I don't understand all of it, but I'm gonna recognize that, that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to get it right. I'm gonna put my hope in Jesus, who once and for all died on the cross for all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our shame, so that we don't have to continue to be stuck in it, so that we don't have to walk around feeling guilty about it. And we go, I'm gonna put my hope and my trust in him. Not only did he die for us, but he overcame death so that I can not just wonder if there's an afterlife or if there's heaven, but I can be confident that I'm gonna live with him forever. That no matter what I face, what sickness, and even to the point of death, my hope is anchored in him. Some of you, you've done that, but maybe you, know, you think about travel steadily along his path. Maybe you've kind of wavered a little bit, worry, doubt, striving, envy, discontent, maybe anger. It's like God's saying, hey, today I want you to, let's, let's get back on the path. Let's lay that stuff at the cross and trust me. And as we do that, I can promise you that the enemy of your soul will not prevail. The enemy will not prevail. The plans that he has will not prosper because God ultimately is in charge. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you for this great church, this great community of of believers. And God, today, we just collectively wanna tell you that we put our trust in you. Lord, I don't know what's going on in everybody's life today, but you certainly do. And you know where we are. You know the pain that we have, the doubt, the anger. And God, as we take this step to say, God, I, I put my trust in you, I just pray that you would meet us there, that you would exchange the doubt for faith and trust, that you'd exchange hopelessness for hope, God, that you would, you would exchange anxiety for peace and sadness for joy as we put our hope in you. 
God, I thank you so much that you're a God who can be trusted. We trust you today in Jesus' name, amen, amen.